podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is a Heart and Hand production. Hello everyone and welcome to the Rangers Relay. My name is Cameron Bell of uh, Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. And I'm very pleased to be joining you in our season review. Uh, and I could not do that unless I had my partner in crime, very good friend from Four Lads Had a Dream, Stevie Clifford. Stevie, thank you so much for joining me on what I think will be an interesting journey. Uh, we were talking before we came on air about uh, looking through the various sections of the seasons that goes may not be incredible, incredibly popular this pod because of how the season obviously finished, but we will do what we can to try and make it as entertaining as we can. Yeah, um, first of all, good evening and hello, good afternoon, whenever we're listening to everyone. Um, Cammy, it's a joy to be here. We've not, to be fair, we've not had the season I think we all wanted, but we can't do a, a monthly or a, a kind of regular podcast and then just ignore it when it gets to the end of the season, unfortunately. So... I'm, I'm happy to be here and there's there should be, even though there's not positivity around some bits of last season, there's certainly positivity heading into the summer, I think, and, and where the club's going. So we'll cover the, the nitty gritty of everything, I think. Yeah, we will. And listen, Stevie, I think, you know, it's 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 been interesting, I think, is, is certainly our first season doing this kind of collab between uh, Hart and, and Four Lads, you know, our friendship. Uh, you know, to one side just for a second. It's been great to be able to try and talk to a regular contributor, um, someone who's been so actively involved within, uh, you know, fan media at Rangers across the course of this season. And I think if I'm being honest with you, you know, looking back in some of the shows that we've done um, across the course, certainly of, you know, the the, the last six to seven months, etc., we have tried to be optimistic. Obviously, we would all want the results to have turned out differently, very differently in some cases. But, you know, we have tried to maintain an air of optimism and, and, and just trying to keep your, your chin up and stuff as well. It hasn't been great, but at the same point, we realise that it's really important for us to, to, to not bask in the negativity of it. We need to be able to try and uh, and, and highlight that, but I don't think it's I don't think it's the be all and end all of the season. I think you're absolutely right. There is definitely some some real positives coming our way pretty soon. Yeah, I would agree, and I think that people listen would rather we were honest than than we you know sugarcoated stuff or we gave a, a false opinion. And and we're naturally quite positive people anyway. So obviously, when it comes to our team, we're going to try and talk it up and we're going to think positively about what we're about to see or whatever. So. Um, I would rather we were like that than people come on and hear a, a dull, dreary podcast. So I think we'll continue to be positive. I certainly feel positive right now. You know, we've had some good news in recent weeks. So I'm looking forward to what's coming. And I think it, I always think it's also nice to to kind of have a look back on on the season and and where and the good and the bad from it all. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, folks, if you're still with us, <laughs> then we'll, we will get kicked off. Stevie, um, we went into the summer with um, the, the, the bittersweet uh, memories of Seville, uh, uh, a wonderful trip, a uh, wonderful experience, pipped at the post, uh, a, a terrible way to, to, to lose a cup final. Um, however, we, as, as we always do, we, uh, we started to, to regroup. We looked towards uh, a summer where we knew that there was going to have to be some changes uh, from the from the, the the playing staff, and we made a number of key signings: um, John Sutton, Antonio Cholak, Tom Lawrence, Rabbi Matondo, Milik Tillman, Ben Davies, Ridvan Yilmaz all came in, and front to back, uh, with the exception of the goalkeeper, given the fact that Alan McGregor had decided to stay after being given a degree of a swung song uh, in the Scottish Cup final win uh, over Harps, that um, I, that felt to me like the spine uh, of the team that got the revamp that was needed. Now, again, like I say, it's, it's all great to sit here with the benefit of hindsight. But at the time, Steve, I was really, really excited by this. Um, Suter, I, I know, living through in West Lothian, I, I know a lot of Harps fans and they were uh, disappointed and angry to, to lose John Suter to ourselves. If you'll remember at the time, there was a fair bit of heat centred around him within that stage as well about the fact that he had obviously left Hindcastle. Looking at those players on paper at the time, how were you feeling about those guys being able to come in? Were you excited about the the the, the hopefully the increase in tempo, the, the 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 rise in standards that you were hoping to see from them at the time? Yeah, I was. I'm absolutely not going to deny that. I think that. You know, I remember when Ben Davis came in, I was really positive about him being left-sided and him being a good player. John Suter, we knew, was coming. So Antonio Cholak as well, I thought he scored goals. Wherever he's been, he's going to be decent for us. I thought he led the line. He completely changed the game at Ibrook. So with that in mind, you know, when he was at Malmo, when he came here, with all that in mind, I was positive. I've seen Rabi Matondo against West Ham very early doors, and I thought this boy was exciting. Redvan, we had to wait a wee bit for, but naturally... You know, we thought he was a bit more of a, a kind of project, perhaps. But all in all, I mean, at the time, I can't really fault it. Um, it naturally was positive. I was thinking as well, Cammy, that, you know, we, you'll remember the early shows that we did. I was really positive. I thought that Van Bronckhurst had shown real promise towards the end of the season, especially in old farm games. You know, the semi-final springs to mind. 1-1 draw at Parkhead. I thought, right, he's acclimatised to this. He's, he's kind of getting there. The run in Europe meant that, that we we had reason to believe that this team still had a wee bit about it. And I was positive. I don't think it would do anyone any good to sit and deny it. But I also think really quickly that began to change. And I don't think that's unfair to say that. But initially, over the summer... I thought, yeah, fine, absolutely. Um, and I was very positive going into it. You know, when we done our review predictions, there was no hesitation in me thinking that we would win this league and that we would, would possibly bag a cup. So, you know, you always have the optimism of, of being a supporter in that. But um, I think it would be naive or, or um perhaps foolhardy to sit here and say any different, you know, to try and pretend. So, no, I was all in and I was quite happy to be all in. There wasn't much trepidation, but, Cammy, that did change very quickly. 
Yes, it did. It did. And as I say, we'll, we'll cover some of that in some detail shortly. Outgoings, Stevie, the, the, the big move, obviously, was Calvin Bassey for um, just shy of, of £20 million to Ajax. Um, a deal which I think was done relatively quickly in terms of that. Obviously, Joe Aribo moved down south to, to Southampton. Um, some players who probably hadn't featured as much, so guys like Cedric Titton, etc., that uh, left. Lean Balligan uh, was eventually to move as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, as I say, some guys who I think had, had made um, a mixed level of contribution had gone... Some had gone for for some some good sums. Uh, some I think had realised that their futures were gonna gonna lie elsewhere. Um, I still look back on the the, the Bassey piece of business to say I think that that was us making the move at the right time. And as we have covered pretty extensively on um, some of our, our Rangers relay shows across the course of the last few months, probably the the road not travelled when we had a a not dissimilar offer for Alfredo Morelos and made the decision to keep him with Calvin Bassey, we we decided to cash in on him. Yeah, and I think it was correct. Um, although his loss would be somewhat felt the more the season went on, I think that it was definitely the right time. You know, 23 million in rising was, was incredibly good money. So I've no complaints there. I understand where we are in the football world in terms of, you know, mega money coming in like that. Even, you know, when you talk about the, the kind of 10 million potential deal for Joe Rebo, 6 million in your hand kind of thing, which was seriously good money for somebody as well that, that was running out of contract. So the Morelos thing, I think we've, we've covered extensively. You know, we, we all would have maybe acted differently and if we had the, the ability to know what we know now then so it's a different kind of proposition but I, I didn't disagree with that business you know it's a great move for him I didn't realise we would see him so quickly but we definitely missed that we missed that presence and pace and power and I don't think we fully realised I certainly didn't fully realise until it got to the kind of elite games just how much we really missed that because in Scotland it can some way you know you, you can get away with it at times against lesser opposition no disrespect to anyone but when it comes to the real elite when it comes to your trips to Parkhead and that it was very evident of what we were missing so deals deals were were good I, I think you know even in hindsight it's different because some haven't worked out and I think that's fair to say but at the time in and out goings I, I didn't really have any complaints at all no and I, and I think you know as I said about the, you know the, the the road not travel with Alfredo Morelos, there is probably a degree of regret on that, and and I don't mean because of how obviously we know the season's gonna gonna pan out as we talk about it, Stevie. I just mean from the the perspective of within our player trading model, within our setup, and I think you're right. I think we do have to understand where there's going to be times where we have to cut our cloth accordingly when you get presented with sums of money like that. And in the big leagues, let's be honest, right, that's fairly bread and butter. I think it's big money in Holland, so I think it is a big investment. But I also think, um, you know, given the, let's call it the allure, of being able to sell players in a market of that level, I think that given the money that's obviously in our neighbours down south, it does turn their attention to us that there can be opportunities from Scotland to be able to get players that, let's face it, English top flight premiership teams wouldn't worry too much about in terms of spending 20-odd million quid. 
so I think it's I think it from a from an overall marketplace perspective, I definitely think it gave us some some positive signs on that. However, we uh, we crack on and uh, and the season kicks off uh, through next to myself uh, through in Livingston as uh, Rangers and I'm going to use this word very carefully scraped to a two-one win um, over Livy. Uh, I really enjoy. Uh, been able to get the season kicked off, Steve. It's probably one of my favourite times. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pretend about the fact that, you know, even now as we record this in the in the first week in June, whenever you're in the close season, I always have that Rangers-shaped hole in my life. So I love getting the season back up and underway. You get to see these players who who you brought in and get to see them in the flesh and all that. I despise friendlies. I don't think they mean anything. So when you start competitive fixtures again, I think that's absolutely great. Um, However, we did struggle um, through the Tony Macaroni Arena, whatever it's called this week. Um, and, uh, and thanks really to probably some strong perseverance. Um, the introduction of VAR um, was in the pipeline. It wasn't here yet. Uh, but obviously it was a discussion point for a number of people because, you know, there was obviously a lot of focus on it. Um, an interesting start to the season, I think it's fair to say, Stevie, because... Uh, as I say, we really had to dig in and fight for that. I, I hate talking about that park uh, throughout Livy. I, I've played on it. it listen, it is, a, it's, it, it is definitely an equaliser. But what I would say, though, is that we, we had to kind of grind out a result here. And it was um, <laughs> really thanks to um, a, a Scott, well, Scott Arfield, you know, introduction that he managed to score and James Tavernier scored a wonder goal as well. Um, yeah, we, we did struggle within this. Yeah, we absolutely did. And when you look back on it, it's interesting because pre-season, we had that really terrible trip. Um, they looked very lacklustre when they played Sunderland. That game got stopped at half-time for the floodlight failure and stuff. And there was warning signs. But against West Ham, they kind of picked up a wee bit. They had a good result, 3-1 at home. So we were in a, a brighter kind of mood going into that Livingston game. We did not perform well. A really horrible first 45 minutes. We now know that John Suter had a broken foot during all that. When he was trying to play, it was obviously extremely difficult. So that that was because I remember Joe Nubley gave him a, a torrid time. Um, chipped, ironically chipped John McLaughlin for the first goal. And it just wasn't a good performance. And... You know, then we had a couple of home games which were fine in, in the balance. If you remember also, Cammy, we went away to Belgium to play um, in the Champions League and we turned in an absolute stinker and got overturned by them 2-0 out there. And I thought that they were an extremely poor side. You know, it turns out we, 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 we got that back at home, but they went quite far in the Conference League and only lost the league in Belgium in the last day. So maybe it was slightly harder, but there was early signs there. And when you're in the middle of it, you don't really see them or you don't want to see them because you want to keep positive. But when you look back and you know hindsight, obviously, and you know how it went under Geo and stuff, there was massive signs even that earlier that, that we were struggling and we weren't up to our best. So, yeah, Livingston, sadly, I think was a sign of things maybe not being quite right within the, the squad and that kind of freshness and injection hadn't arrived yet or wasn't going to arrive as it turned out. 
Yeah, well, listen, you know, as you've, as you've just mentioned, we are almost literally straight into Champions League action across the course of, it, course of August. Um, the big prize, Stevie, was obviously being able to qualify again for the Champions League. A fairly horrendous performance and a 2-0 defeat in Belgium against uh, USG was overturned at Ibrox, did you rightly say, um, thanks to a 3-0 win with goals coming from uh, Tav, Tony Cholak and uh, a wonderful <laughs> goal by uh, Malik Tillman. So two of the new signings already starting to contribute. We then go to PSV, um, or sorry, beg your pardon, we, we, we are then drawn against PSV and draw two all at Ibrox, um, and then uh, across in Holland, uh, a Tony Cholak winner gives us a, a, an overall result of 3-2 in aggregate, and Rangers, for the first time in far too long, are now back into the, the, the Champions League group stages. Stevie, there's, there's, there's been a big part to me around... Um, a validation of when we were able to get back into the Champions League, that felt like, you know, through the journey and, you know, we're still talking about the journey. But there is a, a, a huge part of that where we wanted to get back into the into the proper stages of the Champions League. Um, my overwhelming feeling at the time was not just the money, but the status of being able to get back into that tournament. And for me, it just started to bring home how far we had really come across certainly one of the darkest periods of our history. Yeah, listen, Champions League qualification was huge. Um, it was absolutely massive. And in some ways, for Giovanni Van Bronckhurst, it, it was a complete undoing of him, which we'll, we'll get to. But for Rangers, it was absolutely mu- absolutely massive. I remember being frankly quite delirious the evening that we managed to win in PSV because I didn't expect it um, Luc Dijon up front had an absolute horror show which we needed and that stroke a lot and then the high press which Malik Tillman turned out to be very very handy managed to recover the ball squares it for Tony Chola we were unlucky I remember Tom Lawrence crashed the bar with an incredible effort as well so yeah. it wasn't like we went over there and, and we just nicked it, we actually played some decent stuff at times, it really suited us that kind of game, so we were good the early signs under Tom Lawrence Malik, you know, things were things were starting to maybe say right, okay and then the Champions League group, and I was really naive because I thought we could do well here um, I thought Napoli, you know Liverpool, Ajax, I thought we would do okay at home on the back of what we'd just done in Europe it turned out that was completely wrong. Um, we all know how it went. And it probably turned out, Cammy, for as, as brilliant as it was for the club and we needed, I think that was a complete undoing of, of Giovanni Van Bronckhurst because it was just the squad cracked and crumbled. There was too many injuries which were really critical, too many big injuries. And we just didn't. We just didn't manage to grasp the, the intensity of, of the midweek stuff and then the Scottish game. we just never done it. And by the time the Champions League started and then we went to Parkhead and, and sadly got an absolute hammering, you know, 4-0. And then to go to Ajax, 4-0, that really set Gio back because there were so many questions. Even for me, I'm like, this can't continue because the manner of the defeats were so harsh and so bad. There was just so much wrong with it. By the time that the Champions League home game against Liverpool came, I had sort of stated on the site and stuff that, that this needs to stop and the only way it's going to stop is if, if we make that change. So I think that the, the Champions League, as fantastic as it was for everyone, and by the way, Gio, I think, deserves massive credit 
for what he done in Europe, you know, taking us to that level and, and returning Rangers to where we are and stuff like that. Sadly for him, as brilliant as he's done to get us there, I think it cost him his job. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we will come on to that because we're obviously going to talk a little bit more about the domestic performance, but it's just sticking with the Champions League at the moment. It's something that you had mentioned there. Um, I, I do not think for a single minute that you were alone in that optimism of, of when you saw the draw. I, I remember vividly at that time, um, probably, let's face it, right, we were absolutely drunk on the success of being able to get to Seville. And so we fancied ourselves, right? I'm not saying for a single minute that I knew people who were saying that, you know, we will will top the group or blah, blah, what have you. But, you know, as everybody does when they when they see the draw and then when it comes out for the first time, you start looking at the teams, you start looking at, you know, the fixtures when they get announced and, and, and you know, what, uh, you know, what what it could mean to play certain teams at certain times if you start to look at the group phase. So you start to work out the permutations. I think everybody did that, Stevie. And I think everybody, you know, certainly as I remember, said, I, you know, I do think that we could achieve something. And again, we know it's not how it turned out, so there's no point rewriting history. But, you know, there definitely was a confidence about us being able to try and go. I think, you know, it was a, it was a, a, a a, probably a, a fractional confidence because we knew we were going back into the into the top tier. However, you know, we, we thought, well, you know, if we can perform well enough, we got some great results against Leipzig, against Dortmund, etc. Why would we worry about some of these teams that we can go and we can really impress against? Um, I do agree that I think for a lot of fans, um, how we performed in Europe was the the the, the tide turning against Van Bronckhurst. Uh, we really struggled in terms of being able to to step up our game. I don't know if it's players got overawed by the occasion, because again, it's the Champions League and the majority of them had played in a Europa League final very, very recently. But um, when you mention it, obviously the result against Ajax, and I think probably with it being so close to a 4-0 loss against Ajax, then... Um, or sorry, uh, the 4-0 the loss against Celtic, the 4-0 loss against Ajax, it just felt like we were just getting gubbed. And that's a really difficult thing for Rangers fans to accept because it's absolutely not what we're used to. The turning point, I think, for me, Stevie, just on the Champions League, though, um, was Liverpool at home. Uh, taking the lead with a Scott Arfield goal. Um, and, you know, Liverpool... A top tier team, there's no doubt around it, with you know multi million pound players, you know, a wealth of them throughout their ranks. But then enter Mohamed Salah. I think that was a big moment in that game as well, Cammy, because it was 2 1 at the time, and Liverpool brought on Robertson, Salah, Jota, and I think possibly maybe Milner was, was there was four that came on and they were all top tier, and we responded by not making those changes to try and affect that. We 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 made changes up front and I think we threw on Alfredo and maybe a couple other like it was in a really attacking move and subsequently it absolutely ripped us apart. Now we did lose Goldson, I think we also lost Jack in that game, so there is context to it. But Gio didn't react to what was going on. In the press conference there was a, a real anger, uh, certainly among like the the fan media kind of lads and 
we were quite straight with Gio. I remember at the time he said he was shell-shocked and he had to try and process it. But I tried not to react to social media. I went home and I gave it, you know, I gave it another watch. And I was furious because it was just so wide open. There was times where we gave up. You know, by the time Harvey Elliott had scored the last goal, McGregor was... Oh, we were done. Yeah, yeah, we were. We were standing McGregor standing watching and stuff. So the whole thing, and at that point I said, if we don't remove him, then I think that it's going to get worse. Now, in the league at that point, there was a two-point gap. The points that we had dropped um, away to Hibs, and we'd also dropped at home to Libby, but had been countered by the fact that St Mirren had beaten Celtic. So the gap was two. Um, and then sadly, it, it just went at that point. You know, the, I think the whole belief in the squad, as well as the injuries taking their complete toll, I think the belief in the squad just went. And it didn't help having to, to finish, you know, um, Ajax at home, Napoli away, and stuff. None of that really helped. So it was a bit of a, a disastrous campaign, not only for the club, but I think it completely killed the manager, Stone Dead. Um, so, yeah, we, I mean, we we bank the money and everything's great from that point of view. But unfortunately, from our point of view, club-wise, it, it really didn't work. But that Liverpool game, for me, was the end for Van Brockhurst. There was no way going back. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you, you, you got the sentiment, I think, for me, you know, it was definitely uh, fans struggling to be able to believe in what he was doing. Um, there was, uh, you know, definite um, feeling around the lack of improvement, the lack of of a design, of a blueprint. You know, we talked about the the horseshoe at the time, and it wasn't really working. And so I think fans started to get frustrated at what they had then felt was uh, just a lack of a lack of ideas. Um, and again, I think, and I do agree with you about. Uh, the fact that you know we do have to to acknowledge what Giovanni van Bronckhurst was able to succeed within Europe, but when the true test came, I think that there was a number of factors. You mentioned obviously some of the injuries in there. I totally agree with some of that, but that's going to be the story of the season, of course. But there's just a, I think just a a, a dip in morale. I just think that we got to a stage where it was so difficult for us to be able to to motivate the players to be able to do it. I think, you know, Van Bronkers couldn't do it. Um, domestically, um, you know, throughout the course of September and October. Um, some decent wins, Stephen, I will say this in terms of, you know, being able to, to you know, recover well against Celtic, that 4-0 game that we mentioned. Obviously, we have done the United Ibrox. We go away to Tynecastle and turn them over and what was, you know, a, a, a great performance. Another 4-0 win for us against St Mirren. Um a two sorry a two one one against Motherwell at Fur Park and then this for me I think if you weren't sold on the idea of moving them by this stage when we got to the twenty second of October um, the game of a million crosses Stevie Ibrox against Livingston a one all draw the 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 body language I mean maybe again I'm keen to get your thoughts on it because it might just be me over-exaggerating, but the body language to me of the players at that stage just screamed to me of they they don't know what to do next and they're not getting told what to do next and I don't know which is worse. Yeah, Livingston was particularly painful. Um, I, I famously asked Van Bronckhurst something 
Um, not famous, infamously asked Van Bronck or something in, in the press conference, which we'll get to in a wee minute. But the outstanding memory of that game, as you said, was cross after cross after cross. Passing it back and forward, defence, down the wing, Barisic, cross, cross, cross. And it was painful. Lundstrom does equalise. He then also misses a header, I think maybe about a minute later. Now, that day, Cammy, if, if memory is right, Celtic went to St Johnston and St Johnston equalised in like 92 minutes. Celtic then won it with the last kick of the ball in 94. And in that point, if we had won and they had drawn, we would have went top. And it was a complete sliding door moment because obviously they won, we didn't, and we went five behind. Now, again, in the press conference, there was quite a lot of anger. Um, and I asked him, David asked him, first of all, on the performances and, and what he's going to do to fix it. And he said, um, if, if memory's right, he said that, you know, it's down to the players and the players to work, etc., etc. And I then asked him, I was, I said to him, I said, do the players still believe in you and believe in your tactics? Because it doesn't look like they do. Now, this kind of shook Van Bronckhurst a wee bit. He, he kind of recoiled a wee bit. And, and in fairness, do you know what? It was maybe a question that was more heart as a fan than it was as a journalistic kind of point of view. It was quite a raw question. So there's part of me that regrets it because Gio, listen, Gio was a really nice guy. I don't think he deserved that, possibly. But also think at the time it needed to be asked. So that was the beginning of it for me. Um, I think you've seen, like you say, I, I think it was the whole point that I just didn't see what we were trying to do. I didn't see that the players believed in it either. And that was a really difficult game. So by that point, Van Bronckhurst um, and and my kind of any positivity I had behind him was completely gone. Yeah, and I think you know, for me, uh, you know, I could see people, I could hear people still trying to defend him, and I think that the reason as to why this, um, I mean, the the result to one side, right? Because in actual fact, when I think about this game, Stephen, I think about. Uh, the feeling, the mood music at the time, it wasn't around, oh, we've dropped two points to Livingston. It wasn't, you know, even at Almondvale, we struggled against Livingston, bogey team, none of that crap. That wasn't that wasn't what it was. What it was was that we, we had, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, but we just didn't have the plan B that, that, that was necessary. You know, we're not going back to the Warburton era, of course, of, you know, let's just do plan A better, but it, that's exactly what it felt like. Because it was, you know, left to middle to right, to right to middle to left. Let's put a cross in Livingston, deal with it. And they just ate up. They could deal with it all day long. And so you're, you're never going to tell me, right? And you're right about the, the, the turnaround um, uh, at McDermott Park. But you're never going to tell me, Stevie, that, you know, five points behind in uh, the third week in October... The league's done, right? I, I absolutely do not subscribe to that. And I think most people felt that way as well. What they were more pissed off at was the manner of the draw and the performance and the lack of creation, the lack of, um, you know, let's let's alter it, let's switch it, let's do something else. And um, it, was, it was strange. I mean, it was really strange in terms of why we just couldn't get over the line at that point. And... Um, I think for me, what I I, I I just remember so distinctly at the time was 
if people weren't sold after the Champions League, they were sold now that he had to go. Yeah, I think so. I think also, you know, I think the players believed it as well. I think the players were were done. Um, I certainly don't think they were fit enough, which comes back to questions over the pre-season. There was a lot said about it at the time. There's a lot said afterwards, and you know fine well as as I do when you know Rangers are going through bad. There's always splits in dressing room and training, so there's always those stories. But there was a lot being said about what we didn't do in training, especially on the, on the training camp abroad and stuff like that. That there was basically no running, there was no fitness. The players were complaining of that. So there was reference to it made one of Ryan Jack's first press conferences um, after Michael Beale came in. He made reference to training and stuff like that. And that was quite, it wasn't confirmation as such, but you could clearly feel that the players um, certainly weren't enjoying it. So we we didn't know that at the time. But by the time it came to his last week, Cammy, you know, the game's... St Johnston 2-1 defeat, Hearts 1-0, St Mirren one each. By that point, you know, I think we were all... I, I remember the game at St Mirren vividly because that was the last game before the World Cup split. And the atmosphere wasn't, you know, oh, we'll drop two points. The atmosphere was right. That should finally be it. He needs to go. And once you get there, there's just, there's no turning. That last week when he was in charge, the performance at St Johnston... You know, Tav did pull a goal back, but the performance overall was was very grim. Hearts, we struggled by in the midweek game. And then, you know, St Mirren just killed it completely. I do think at that point, the correct decision was made and had to be made. And I think that those things you've talked about basically accumulated in his last week. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. Um, And I suppose, you know, Finishing up on Geo, I, I I think that you know we we wanted to get behind Van Bronckhurst. We he, he was given I think more time than he should have been, which again is great when you're sitting here behind sight. But he was given more time than he should have been because he had credit in the bank from Seville. Um, we've mentioned already because obviously by this stage we're now starting to get a key level of injuries, which you know was pretty much commonplace throughout the course of the season but by this point we were at a, a stage where um i think we had that lack of invention we had some of those uh you know those those i'm not going to say protests because i don't even believe that there were protests i think that there was just a, a a general lack of real steer and direction from anyone within the club about what we were supposed to be doing here it was it just felt quite rudderless um and then when the decision, as you rightly say, was eventually coming, um, I don't know, and I don't don't know if anyone ever will know, but when Michael Beale is sitting having pints in the Loudoun in the district uh, for the 4-1 game against Aberdeen, um, it doesn't take much to have to start to draw lines. And obviously not long after Van Bronckhurst left, Michael Beale was, was appointed Rangers manager. Yeah, I think unfortunately for Michael Beale, um, I think, to, to be fair, what I would say is Michael Beale kept in contact with me, and I think that's I've said that a few times, and he had always said that he's coming up, he was coming up, and he just needed a fixture where it works. So the Aberdeen game was something he had mentioned to me like a month in advance. So I don't think it, it just, it didn't look good 
when it all transpired the way it is. So for people that already maybe had doubts about Michael Beale coming in, they instantly had something to grip onto because regardless, you know, Gio was still a bit of a favourite with you know, despite how it went, there was he still had a, a groundswell of support in there, maybe not as big as it was, but he still, you know, delivered Scottish Cup, Seville, etc. People were still trying to kind of hang on to it a wee bit. So there was immediately for Michael Beale, as you said, those lines could be drawn. And I think I think even he would probably change that if he knew how it was turning out. I don't believe for a second that there was anything underhand or untoward in there from Beale's point of view. I don't think that the the club, you know, I don't think there was anything there. Um, certainly from, I can sit there in a, a position now that having asked those questions, I, I really don't believe it. But it would be naive, I think, not to think that, that people would obviously go to that. So it doesn't look good or it didn't look good at the time. But see, at the same time, Cammy, I was I was pretty biased. You know, I wanted Michael Beale to get the job. So I didn't really, it didn't bother me in the slightest. Even if something, you know, even if he had come up and said, yeah, I do want to be back here and he'd given the board something to think of, it, it's not ethically right and stuff. But at that point, Gio having gone, I was really all on board and I really wanted Michael Beale in. So it's a fickle football fan, isn't it? I certainly felt like that. But um, yeah, I think, you know, knowing Michael Beale, I think that he would definitely change that if he could. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think that, you know, there's nothing much that could be done. I, I, I did not subscribe to the idea, Stevie. And I know that people said it at the time that, you know, Beale being here was in, was in poor taste, that, you know, we, we don't do that. But again, I think it was just the general the general mood at the time of people were pissed off, they wanted change. And again, I think you've hit the nail on the head. If you didn't want Michael Beale and his manager, then you now had a reason as to not have it because you felt it was in poor taste. I don't I don't agree with any of that, if I'm being honest, and, and where we were. Stevie, before I pass over to you um, to talk about the new era under your BFF, Michael Beale, I do want to talk a little bit, if I may, about uh, something else that happened in, uh, in October. Uh, just before we got to the, uh, the the World Cup break, and that is obviously the introduction of VAR in Scotland. Um, you and I are both referees. Um, it, it, again, like I say, it's been put under the microscope, I think it's fair to say, and uh, given fans of certain clubs were very much of the belief that VAR was out to get them, and um, somehow they were still able to win a treble. So, you know, maybe there's... Not so much belief in that conspiracy theory any longer. Um, It has been quite amusing, I think, to be able to watch people fumble their way around, being able to try and understand VAR, despite it having been down south for quite a wee while. Yeah, and even what what I think is funny is we've actually had this a couple of times in press conferences. You know, Barry Robson a couple of weeks ago basically sat in a press conference and said, why is VAR not interfering when, or getting involved, intervening when Goldson and Duke had that kind of tugging episode outside the box? And it was David that actually said, you know, they can't get involved because it was outside the box. And he and he went on a bit of a rant saying, look, does anyone in this room know the rules of VAR? And, and we were sitting there going, yeah, we, we do know the rules of VAR, but it's one <laughs> of those ones where 
We all said it at the time, but it's quite funny that none of us wanted to say, well, the three rules of R are there and they're quite obvious and goal scoring opportunity, serious foul play, all goals will be checked. You know, that's the three laws of VAR. And I think that highlights the point that the VAR's come in and, and people don't fully understand, despite the fact that it's broadcasted before most games, what VAR can do and what VAR can intervene. But I'm like you. I, listen, I've seen a few decisions at VAR, you maybe think, right, you know, there's been a couple involving the, the Kilmarnock one. I think they were playing St Johnston and, and there was a pretty blatant handball that I don't understand and even don't understand it now. I don't think there's been many, for Rangers' point of view, that we haven't got or we haven't been given that have thought either way. There's not been many against us, but that's quite obvious because teams don't really dominate. There's not really been much against us. There's been a few handball moments with Goldson, but yeah. when you look at them and look at the laws of the game, they're, they're quite straightforward. And it's easy for us because... I don't really get involved in the online stuff when it comes to that sort of thing. But for me, like I just look at the laws of the game and say, right, okay, fine. So it's maybe different our viewpoint from, you know, others. Like the the old the old firm one at New Year with Golson. There was a, a a logical explanation there that you could say whether you agreed or not was different. But you could say, right, well, that's the laws and that's the reasoning. So VAR for me, it's interesting though, I don't agree with it coming in at the point it did, because if it comes in the season, it should come in at the start. And the reason I bring that up is, you look at Gio being at the point where he was. Now, when we went to Easter Road, even four day, four games in, John Lundstrom was sent off and it was later rescinded. And everybody at the time, nobody thought it was a red card. And and Colm very quickly ran and, and made a show and, you know, red card out. And that changed that game. At 2-1, at we were bossing it. And that suddenly became 10. It very quickly became 9. And then we conceded. But that was a hammer blow to Gio even that early. It meant we were constantly chasing, even from that point. So VAR, for him, he could point to and say we were we were quite unfortunate. So and that's, albeit that's a very small point. I just think that if you get a round of fixtures, it should have come in and been able to affect the whole year. That would be my only point. But I'm glad, listen, I'm on record, and I'll, I'll continue to say it. I'm glad VAR's here. I think the majority of the decisions they get right, it's particularly good for offsides, which, you know, even if it's an inch or whatever, it's still off, it's off. So I think that it has been good, Cammy. Uh, interested to hear your kind of overall thoughts on it, but I don't I don't subscribe to that. There's been, listen, I do think there's been a few decisions that are questionable and I don't really agree with, but overall... I think that it does benefit our game. Listen, I agree too, right? And I think, you know, as much as we like to have a laugh and a joke about, you know, being referees and therefore, you know, professionally hated, anything that can help referees, and no one is going to convince me that our referees do not need help. Um, Anything that that can get referees uh, some degree of support, but also... And this is where we did miss the trick, in my opinion, is being able to try and educate football fans. Now, before people listen to this and go, well, you know, I know what's what and stuff as well. I think what you beautifully demonstrated there, Stevie, is that in most instances where I've seen people argue with VAR, they're not arguing with VAR, they're arguing with a rule they don't like. And I'll, you know, let you drop Michael Stewart's name in here for the, I know what the rule is, I just don't like, you know, having to, you know, uh, concede that the rule exists and then therefore that's how we should we should do the game and I'll just blame the technology you know it's like anything it's the user so I think that there were always going to be mistakes 
I think that's totally fine because it's a brand new system. It's brand new to the guys using it. Um, so that's fine, right? So that's that's when you're going to encounter human error. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Nobody's infallible. I, I think we expect referees to be infallible at times, but that is not the case. But all that being said, where I think that the, the SFA missed a major trick was being able to try and do some more, I don't know what you want to call it, PR, education pieces, anything like that, where whether or not you engage that at a supporter level, a player level, a club level, however you wanted to do it, when you brought in this system, it had to be done uh, across the whole board. I, I have not liked the, depending on your stadium, and, uh, and you know, in some cases, not been able to have that implemented, but it's in use in other rounds of the same competition you're playing in. So again, it happened within the Scottish Cup where some games had VAR, some didn't. And to your point, Stevie, if you're a club that goes out of a tournament um, based on the fact that you either did or didn't have VAR because of where that game happens to be played, that becomes pretty nonsensical and it becomes a laughing stock. And what the SFA should have done, again, only in my opinion, but what they should have done is use that as an opportunity to say, look, we are going to educate the fans here. We're going to educate players in the clubs and Scottish football as a whole in order to say that this technology is bringing us into alignment with the rest of the major leagues in the world. And we'll never, ever close the gap financially. We'll never close the gap from a talent pool perspective. We'll never close the gap in an international scene. What we can do, however, is look to be progressive. And now we've finally caught up with it. We could have said, we've seen it in England. We've seen where there can be mistakes. We've seen where it's had to evolve and be able to do all that. So using those learnings, why not, you know, go and allow it to become the best version of itself. Sadly, we're in a in a goldfish bowl of absolute idiots who, for some reason, still maintain professional employment as pundits, as columnists, as ginger hearts rejects, where, um, you know, these guys will, will try and give their opinion on something that really they don't know anything about. So for me, it can definitely work. I think that we do have a really low standard of refereeing whilst they continue to be amateur. And as a result of that, we need to be able to give them as much uh, help as we can. So therefore, I'm all for the system. It can get better and it should get better. And we need to give it time to get better. Um, but I was encouraged, been able to try and see it come in. And I think now, as you've seen, and all joking aside, because we don't really like talking about it. No one does if you're listening to this podcast. But um, if Celtic are going to claim that VAR gives Rangers or any other team a disadvantage, you can just simply turn around and say, well, you weren't saying that when you were winning trebles. So therefore, your argument is null and void, as it usually is. So, um, yeah, for me, I'm, I'm I'm keen to see the next steps on it. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I would agree. I, I, as I say, I don't buy, there's always conspiracies in that, but I do not, I do not buy in or subscribe that. So I'm looking forward to that. So Stevie, that's us. Um, just, I would say, midway through the season, kind of. We obviously had the unnatural break of the World Cup uh, being played in the winter time because obviously it was across in Qatar. 
we'll do that. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll pretty much wrap up there for this week's episode uh, as we conclude probably the more painful parts of it, I think it's fair to say, with the, the, the finish of the Giovanni Van Bronckhurst tenure at Rangers. We will be back next week, however, as we then start to look into the beginning of the Michael Beale era. Um, it's been it's been great to be able to talk to you as pair, but uh, you know, again, like you say, we we we've got some real positives that we get a chance to to delve into next week. I'm really looking forward to being able to come back together with you to to do a, a, an honest review, but also then to to start to look towards a, a brighter future. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, a lot to be positive. There's still a few painful moments, but I think that where we are now. Um, compared with where we've been, there's there's a lot more to be positive. And not only will we look at Beale's tenure, we'll kind of talk a wee bit more about in depth about what's happening on and off the pitch, Cammy, because it's been massive off the pitch as well. So there's been a lot going on there, and I think that there's a lot of positivity surrounding where we're going and and what's happening. So yeah, um, thank you everybody for listening and kind of sticking with it. Sometimes it can be therapeutic, sometimes it can be a difficult listen, but part one is done second part of the, the the relay we're looking forward to and it sets us up nicely I think for what is an exciting summer ahead so thank you Cammy, much appreciated love speaking to you mate and thank you everybody for listening yep absolutely folks as I say we'll be back next week in the usual places where you get your pods if you are missing uh, your Rangers fix at the moment and you'd like to be able to hear and read loads more you can jump on to Heart and Hand the Rangers podcast uh, we have our Patreon site patreon.com forward slash heart and hand and if you'd love to read more of stevie's brilliant writings head on over to four lads had a dream as well usual social media sites and stuff no matter where you get your rangers news um because as i said before we definitely have a big gap where rangers would normally be occupying it so jump on over there if you're if you feel like you're missing out and stuff as well you'll get some great content across there stevie until next week my friend thank you again yep thank you and thanks everybody for listening That was a Heart and Hand production. Sports Social Podcast Network.